When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune with six signals that could show that a recession, a depression, an economic downturn is or could be right around the corner. An economic downturn is really a good term for this. You know, I really toyed with whether or not I should even make this video based on the fact that I believe a lot of economic data that comes from our own government, from global governments around the world, is not accurate. I think there's a lot of evidence that shows that economic growth has not been as strong as what the government has been telling us for a long time now, not based on, on some crackpot theory, but just methodology that the U.S. used to use to calculate GDP. They've changed that methodology over the years, just like they've changed things like how they calculate inflation. But economic downturn, I think, is a good term here. I'm also going to use recession, depression, uh, because I think the the broader perception among the public of are we in a recession, are we in depression is also important as well. So I want to give you six reasons in this video. But real quick, before I get to that, I want to go over four reasons or four things that don't mean a recession is imminent. I've fallen into these traps myself in the past, but just because these four things happen that I'll go through in this list does not mean that it's imminent. They're just... They're important to pay attention to, but, but we'll get into each one here in this list. Number one on this list, uh, debt. Yes, we know that the world is drowning in debt at the sovereign level, at the corporate level, at the consumer level, right? We talk all the time about the U.S. national debt, about the student loan bubble, the auto loan bubble, the amount of outstanding mortgage debt. We can go on and on down this list. China's debt bubble. Talk about individual countries like Greece or Italy or Turkey or whoever that has these debt bubbles in different sectors of their economy. And yes, debt matters. And yes, debt makes recessions much, much worse. And yes, debt eats away at the value of our currency over a long term uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but just because there's lots of debt doesn't mean that a recession has to happen in the next six months, 12 months, next five years. We've had a lot of debt for a, long of t a lot of time, okay? But we haven't had a major economic, I guess, downturn in the last 10 years. We've had ups and downs, right? Maybe we're in a recession since 2008, maybe not. Maybe some of the data suggests that, maybe not. But it hasn't caused a total crash of the economy just because we've had a lot of debt. That's a fact of the matter, right? Debt, it, it needs to go further than just that. In, in the case of debt, it needs some sort of a trigger like rise in interest rates or, or an emerging market, a, a depreciating currency, like the Turkish lira or the British real or, or sorry, Brazilian real or something like that. But in and of itself, debt does not mean that a recession is imminent. It's important to pay attention to. It is a huge player and why recessions happen and why they get so bad in the first place. But it's not the be all end all. Next one on this list, bubbles. You guys have all heard about the everything bubble. The real estate bubble, the housing bubble, the bubble in the Chinese economy. Um, individual housing markets in places like, uh, uh, I think, Vancouver or San Francisco or, or whatever. Uh, there's bubbles everywhere. There are plenty of bubbles to be found. There's debt bubbles to be found. The student loan debt bubble. 
the credit card debt bubble. We can go on and on. But just because those bubbles exist doesn't mean that they need to pop immediately. Now, come on, we're, we're students of history here, and we know that those bubbles are, are very likely to pop eventually. It's just a matter of one. You know, the tech bubble in the early 2000s, it popped eventually. The housing bubble that led up to a great recession, that popped eventually. Today, we have a lot of bubbles going, some of them going for, for much, you know, growing for much longer than others. For instance, the, the bond bubble in the US bond market, this, that's been growing for 30 years, right? People could have predicted the end of that bubble back in 2000, and, and they still wouldn't be correct today because, well, I think it's still in a bubble today, right? The housing market, stock market, right? We have bubbles everywhere. We can agree on that. But just because they exist doesn't mean that they have to pop immediately, all right? Next one on this list. I think it's important to understand these things. Uh, people said so. And I should add at the beginning of that, smart people said so. And you know what? You know, me typing that discounts everything I'm about to say in this video. But seriously, do your own research on this. There are people that have been making calls for recessions for a long time now, you know, including, you know, myself. I, I, I've felt for a long time now that, hey, you know, we're, we're teetering on the brink. It hasn't happened yet. But, but there's a variety of triggers that could very well spell out uh, doom for our economy. But we really have to look at the data. We have to look at different signals. And that's what I want to try to show you in this video today. Yes, I'm, I'm the one presenting this to you. But to some extent, also let this data speak for itself that I'll be showing you. There have been plenty of smart people that have predicted uh, recessions. And, and on the other hand, there's been plenty of smart people, um, you know, looking at you, Ben Bernanke, <laughs> that have uh, predicted economic, um, large economic expansions for, for as far as the eye can see, right before a major recession, right before a financial crisis or something like that. So, you know, just because smart people say that the economy is growing and it will for the next five years or that a recession is imminent doesn't mean that it's so. You, it's so much bigger than that, right? Just because a single person says so doesn't make it so, okay? Final one on this list of things that don't mean a recession is imminent any one thing. We get caught up in one single data point, right? I want to give you six in this video today. I could very well go on and give you 10. I could probably give you a couple reasons as to why maybe the economy is still going to grow for a little bit longer as well. Maybe topic for another video, maybe not. But any one thing, we cannot zero in on one single thing. Yes, some of these things are incredibly important. And some of these things definitely are more important than others but we cannot single on any one thing, whether it's the, the trade war, right? Or emerging markets or yield curve or, or any of that. Let's look at on, on a broader scale, recessions, people, you know, an age old question, you know, do recessions die of old age? Is, is it the Fed that, that tightens too quickly? Is it the economy that overheats, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I think it's a stupid, I, I think it's a stupid question to ask because so often the question or the answer is, well, it's more than just one thing. So uh, just because one single point data point shows that a recession is in, it doesn't mean that's the case. So get into this list, okay? Now that now we've got a little bit of a uh, background here. Number one on this list, this has been a very long economic expansion. Now, again, just because it's been going for a long time doesn't mean that it has to end imminently. This chart right here, um, I think this was from Market Watch. This was from an article back in February. Okay, so you can tack on an extra six months. We're in the second longest expansion. Okay, about eleven months. You know, July of next year, July or August of next year, will be tied or passing up 
this this longest expansion that, that ended in 2001. Um, so so where we're at right now, it uh, you know we're already at the second longest. It's already much much longer than the average, much longer than most of the other economic expansions. And that in and of itself, you know, people ask themselves, do do economic expansions die of old age? Sometimes I think that's a that plays a plays a role, not just because they die of old age, but because of, you know, certain things pile up over time, whether we're talking about the credit cycle or debt piling up or or the fact that, you know, over time, eventually there's going to be black swans, major black swans that are bad enough that that they cause a major you know, contraction of the uh, of the economy. But this is a big one to look at right here. Um, and, and you could add on to this, not only the economic expansion, but also the length of the bull market. Very recently, we just entered into the longest bull market in uh, in U.S. history. Uh, this is this is like a week ago or last sometime last week. Um, again, how much longer can we go? You know, there's a reason that these ones uh, limited out in this case at 10 years, a little less than uh, uh, a little less than it looks like uh, nine years here. Um, eventually something's got to give whether it's just they're dying of old age or or eventually just a black swan happens just because that's that's the nature of, of i guess randomness and, and how the world works you know uh, call it random call it whatever you want maybe it's not random but but things happen eventually next one on this list something that not a ton of people pay attention to but but copper okay they call it dr copper because of its predictive power for things like economic growth and this is a chart for the price of copper going back to, let's see here, sometime, some 2011. Okay, it looks like August of 2011 is how far this one goes back. Basically, copper is a good indicator of economic strength or weakness because copper is used in so many different things. That's <laughs> broad, but but projects, things that, that I guess signal economic growth. So for example, high rises, or a new apartment building, new houses, electronics, uh, vehicles, all sorts of things that that a large amount of production would signal a greater economic growth. Well, basically what you have here is a long declining price. I think around this recession scare back in 2016, you had the price of copper very low. It rose since then on, on the backs of a, a screaming high stock market. Um, you know, according to the official data, lots of economic growth. Well, it's been coming down since then. Okay, Again, this is not the be all end all, but it's another data point that you can add and say, you know, declining copper prices that could be signaling that a recession is coming up here. Next one, I think has great predictive power, the yield curve, the US Treasury bond yield curve. This is how a yield curve works right here. This is what it looks like that we can focus on the current one right here. Basically, it shows the interest rates on different length of, of bonds. And, and that makes sense that it should curve like this meaning that a 30-year should have a higher yield than, than a 20 or, or a two-year or a three-month, right? It makes sense. But what happens is that over time, it gets flatter and flatter, right? The 30-year yield gets closer and closer to, say, the three-year, okay? And that's what you're kind of seeing right here. These other two are from 2016, August 2016, August 2017. These are, are, are a much steeper curve. This is getting flatter and flatter, okay? Another way of putting it is, is this is the spread between the 10-year and the one-year yield, okay? Meaning that in 2007, end of 2006, beginning of 2007, the 10-year uh, had a lower yield than the one-year, meaning that on, on this chart right here, this, th this point right here would be lower than this point right here. It doesn't quite make sense, but 
it it does in economic terms and, and it's it's a good predictor of economic uh, recession it doesn't mean that it has to occur for a recession to occur or economic contraction definitely doesn't don't think that's the case especially when you add into uh, the equation things like fed manipulation but it's another data point to keep an eye on i think they have another one here as well um this is the 10-year and the two-year spread as well again you can see that the spread is declining. The yield curve is getting flatter and flatter. Um, and, and when, as you can see here in these darker bars here, that those signal recessions. And so as it goes flat or inverts, it tends to signal a recession in the near future. Next thing that I think is putting a pressure on the economy as well as the stock market, the Fed and their quantitative tightening. I'll get into their interest rates later on in this video, but their quantitative tightening. Now, what this is, this is actually from the Fed. Yeah, I wonder why they discontinued this series. <laughs> this only goes through 2014. That's as far as I can get it. I wonder why they would stop recording this data or putting it out there for people to easily access. So what this is, in blue here, you have the Fed balance sheet and let's see here um you know, yeah yeah so it's both their mortgage-backed securities and their treasury bonds okay so in the blue you have qe1 sorry that the, the thing keeps popping up but as you as you can see a couple different um major points where it rises a lot the blue line you have qe1 qe2 and qe3 quantitative easing where they buy up all these bonds mortgage-backed securities etc i'm talking in the trillions this is millions of millions or, or trillions basically over here so so cut off the zeros and you have 4.4 trillion, 4 trillion, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then the black here, you have the stock market. So you have the crash leading into this quantitative easing, okay? Crash in the S&P 500, and then it rises. And it, it almost seems like it, it rises in tandem with, with uh, quantitative easing. Now, it hasn't for a while now because the stock market continues to reach new highs, um, since, uh, you know, just very recently reached new highs, it reached new highs January of this year before it quickly, uh, uh, lost like 10 plus percent before eventually recovering. But for the most part, it's followed the balance sheet until very recently, because this is what's been happening to the balance sheet as of October, 2017, it's been contracting. They've began their quantitative tightening program. So you see the tail end of, of QE three right here. You see them just maintaining their balance sheet here, and now it's declining. Any guesses as to what's going to happen to the stock market as it continues to decline? It's You're going to see an increase in volatility. You're going to see, I think, eventually a drop in the stock market prices, right? Um, you know, Again, do your own research on this. Make these own investment decisions. This is just informational purposes, my own speculation and whatnot. But certainly, I think that, that a, a, a contracting balance sheet, which, which still has to accelerate even more, is going to lead to an eventual decline in stock market prices. And I think it makes it even scarier that the U.S. stock market continues to rise even though the balance sheet is contracting. It tells me that uh, two things are happening. A, a lot of money is flowing into the stock market from foreign-owned central banks like the Swiss National Bank, as well as foreign investors, foreign economies, such as emerging markets. We'll get into that here in a second. Um, the second thing it tells me is that they are grossly overpriced. When you, when you remove this type of liquidity from the system, um, essentially destroy money, uh, that does not work well with, with an economy that is really built on, on more and more debt and more and more 
I guess, liquidity and, and money creation. When, when you do the opposite of that, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. It's just a matter of time when, right? Just because this is happening doesn't mean that it has to happen immediately. They began this in October of 2017, albeit at a slow pace. But I think that as it uh, quickens, as the, as the pace increases, it's, it uh, makes it more likely. Um, that that a stock market crash will occur, and and I think it just kind of tightens the noose around the neck of the economy as well. Next one on this list, I'm on. I'm, I'm, what am I on now? Number four, I think. Uh, maybe number five. Um, this would be the uh, emerging market emerging market crisis, basically. This is another reason as to why I think a recession could be coming quite soon. So this is not their, their economic growth. This is not their stock markets and in these emerging markets. This is actually their currency. And so as it goes up, that means it, the dollar is growing stronger versus these currencies. And these currencies are growing uh, weaker and weaker. So this is year to date. Okay. So uh, beginning here in the red here, you have the Turkish lira in this kind of purple maroon whatever you want to call it uh, plum color that's the south african rand in the lighter blue here you have the argentine peso the darker blue you have the russian ruble and then green here you have the brazilian real so the trend here is pretty clear weaker and weaker emerging market currencies and i think a lot for the most part i think a lot of this would be reflected in things like their stock market in these countries their economic growth, okay? Their inflation would certainly reflect this. So what I'm saying here is that their economic growth would be the opposite of this. Their stock market would be the opposite of this. Their inflation would mirror this, right? It would be rising along with this to some extent. Uh, Their bond market would be doing the opposite of this. The yield and their bonds would be following this upward trend. So basically a lot of weakness in emerging markets like Turkey and South Africa, Brazil, Argentina, Russia. You could add China to this list if you consider them an emerging market. They've been dealing with some rough times in their economy. But but I think you know a lot of times people discount what happens around the world, especially if it's not Europe or, or Japan or even China where there's economic weakness. But I think this type of economic weakness, what I would consider at this point, basically an emerging market crisis there's there's this is going to spill over into the united states and in fact uh, watch some of my other content things like this right here quantitative tightening this is part of the reason i believe that that some of this uh weakening of their currency is occurring in the first place so again as this chart goes up that is weakness in those currencies and and the dollar is growing stronger relative to those relative to those currencies um and, and as you can see the pace is certainly increasing again just like the pace of this is increasing as well so um the final one on this list rising rates so i talked about this all the way at the beginning debt right just because there's lots of debt doesn't mean that a recession is imminent okay our economy has been drowning in debt for a long time sure it's growing a lot it's growing at an exponential rate but just because it's there doesn't mean that a recession has to happen immediately well you know one of the things that does pop debt bubbles is rising rates okay so so i have it a couple in a couple, a couple different ways here for you this first one is uh libor Okay, um, and so this is the London Inner Bank, and I always get this wrong. It, I don't think it's overnight. It's a. Uh, I always forget that the over an R. I forget what the O stands for all the time. But basically, these these are benchmark interest rates that show, um, you know, the, the the cost. I guess lend out. I think uh, dollars versus uh, I think euros in some of these currencies. Um, 
for a different length of time. Okay, so 12 month, you have two points, roughly 2.8%, you know, one month, 2.07%, etc. Basically interest rates, and, and this is what a lot of corporate debt, a lot of debt in general is predicated off of, meaning that as these rates go up, so does the debt or the interest rate on that debt go up as well. So as you can see in the past, as this has been rising, you know, the, the long-term trend has been down, okay? But as it rises, eventually it gets to a pain point, it'll go down, but but as it goes down, you see a recession as well, because I think that that debt began to matter as interest rates rose. So you see it uh, leading up to, to this uh, around 1990, you see it in the early 2000s with a recession then, and of course you see it leading up to the Great Recession, okay, in 2007 and, and beyond. Um, you see that, that rates rise and then they fall pretty quickly because I think those rising rates um, finally you know, helped people realize that, hey, debt matters and, and, and uh, rising rates don't, don't mix well with, with the economy that's drowning in debt. Well, we're in a similar situation today. Now, I don't think these rates have to rise to the same levels that they did back in 2006 or 2007. Uh, the long-term trend here is down right? Because I think the long-term trend is up, up, up in terms of debt. And so, of course, lower interest rates, uh, you know, the, the, the economy is only going to be able to handle uh, interest rates rising to a certain point because if they rise beyond that. Uh, it's that debt just would, it just doesn't make sense. You, you only can have a certain interest rate on, on any amount of debt. And so the higher amount of debt you have, the lower in, amount of interest, lower interest rate that you'll be able to stomach as an economy. So I don't think that the pain point is all the way up here at, you know, north of 5%. Um, I think we're, we're coming up on it pretty quick here. Uh, but, but rising rates, this would be the last one on this list. You see it in two other charts here. This is the Fed funds rate. Again, you know, if, if we, if we expanded this, uh, let's see here. We'll go max. Okay, going all the way back to uh, the '70s, early '80s. Okay, you see a huge peak here in terms of interest rates, and and what the Fed had to raise them to before eventually causing economic weakness. The long-term trend, just like with the LIBOR rate, has been down. Okay, leading up to the 2001 recession, you had the pain point at you know six six and a half percent. Okay. They lower them all the way to ultimately 1%. Okay. Pain point leading up to the Great Recession was about five, five and a quarter percentage points. And they lowered them to 0% for a super long time. Okay. Today, we're right around 2%. Okay. July of 2018, they have it at 1.19 or 1.91%. Okay. Again, I don't think the pain point is all the way up here at 5%. I tend to think it's much, much lower. But rates are rising and that doesn't mix well with. A economy that has a lot of debt. Okay, final chart here. Uh, this is the U.S. 10-year yield. Okay, and again, the story here is rising rates compared to where it was even even a year ago. Okay, so we're looking at it, August of 2017. You know, yields were around 2.2% on the 10-year bond. Now, this sucks for the U.S. government because they have to you know they're, they're to service their debt to pay interest rate on their massive pile of debt. They're paying a higher interest rate. They have to pay more to service that debt. Okay, but also, you know, I think with with these bond yields, I think a lot of of other debt is based off of this as well, right? Derived from things like um, Fed funds rate, LIBOR rate, the U.S. ten year yield, and again, it's been rising. Now it it's stabilized for for quite a while now, just shy of three percent, sometimes topping three percent. But again, if we zoom this chart out, earlier on in this video, I talked about a bubble in the bond market. Well, that bubble is pretty evident right here because 
as interest rates decline, by the way, this bubble goes further, further, much further back than what this chart shows. As interest rates decline in terms of bonds, that means their price is going up. And so you can draw a pretty good line here going down. Sorry about that. Going down, following all these peaks or kind of following right in the middle here. And eventually, you know, this line should be at like, what, 1% right now? But you're seeing that like in the past, the um, the 10-year yield is is kind of breaking that line there okay and and what that means i think is is that the 10-year eventually you know rises to a certain point where it uh it creates too much pain for the economy right i think it's happened in the past so for instance in 2000 2000 early 2000s you see uh that the yield really rise from from where it was in the four percent range to all the way up here just shy of seven percent it looks like um, and not too long thereafter, you had a recession, right? Because it's just the, the economy, whatever, couldn't handle interest rates that high. Um, same thing goes, I think, for what's going on right now, right? I think eventually the yields are going to go much, much lower, mostly because of quantitative easing. They could go higher. It, it, that's, that's, that's an interesting topic we could make a video on in and of itself. But where it's at right now, I think this is another data point that suggests that rising rates will impact the economy negatively just um just like they have in the past so you know just like they have with a library and just like they have with the fed funds right so uh six ones here i got the longest economic expansion we have copper yield curve fed tightening their policy um, emerging markets and rising rates so i hope this video has been educational to you i hope it has um, i know this screen share is about as low tech as it gets now it could get much much worse but but I, I I hope that this data is important. I hope that I you can glean a lot of information from this, and and keep an eye on these types of things. I could go on. I could maybe create another ten things on this list. Certainly, uh, you know other ones we could add to this list, like weakness in the Chinese economy. Right, dedicate a bullet point just to that. We we could talk about uh, I don't know the trade war, right? We we could talk about derivative bubbles. We could talk about the European economy. We can go on and on all day about things that, that could signal recessions around the corner. It's when a lot of these data points really uh, kind of converge, right? Whether it's a yield curve, rising rates, emerging markets, that's when you really have to be thinking like, hey, economic growth here in the United States going forward is going to be impacted. And again, like I said earlier, none of this necessarily should, should uh, you shouldn't take any of this as, as the gospel truth in terms of, I want to show you something here, in terms of, you know, is the economy even growing in the first place here? This is this is something uh, that I like showing a lot of my viewers. This is from John Williams, um, shadow stats, basically. So he has a ton of alternate data here. We'll get GDP here. And this is what I was talking about at the beginning of the video. Is GDP even positive right now? So the red line is the official numbers, okay? This is his alternate numbers. And I believe that this has to do with um, prior methodology that, that they've used in the past. That's why you see uh, the two are very close early on, and even later on, they're they're relatively close. There's a percentage point or two off from each other. But today, uh, he puts economic growth shy of zero percent. You know, maybe negative one, negative one point five percent, whereas the official numbers place it north of two or north of three percent. I think the most latest print was like four point one percent or something like that for for Q two. So, again, uh, don't even don't even. Um, take take official economic data as a gospel truth either because it can be manipulated the methodology can be changed and and i think the motive is definitely there for for governments to do that because they want to make themselves look better they want to 
create support for, for their government or for whatever they see as, as the right way to run an economy. Um, and, and they don't necessarily want reality to, uh, to kind of get out there to the masses. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this video down below in the comment section. As always, thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video and God bless.